1: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
0: Welcome to Coronapod. In this show, we're going to bring you nature's take on the latest COVID-19 developments. And we'll be speaking to experts around the world about research
1: during the pandemic. We're entering a new era now. We have new COVID strategies. There's some new unknowns and we've got a vaccine.
0: Hello and welcome to Coronapod. I'm Noah Baker and joining me this week after a little bit of time away, and I'm sure this is going to please many, is Amy Maxman. Amy, how are you?
1: I'm good and I'm very excited
0: to be back. So you've not been on the show for a little while, but in the meantime, you have been very busy winning yet another award. And I wanted to say congratulations.
1: Well, thank you very much, you know, and I owe it. Very much to a whole team of people at Nature who've helped make all those stories possible. So
0: you, along with Helen Branswell from STAT, another amazing reporter, have won the Victor Cohn Prize. And some of the work that was particularly highlighted by the judges was your work on equity and disparities within the pandemic, and your reporting more broadly. One of those pieces formed a Corona Pod special that we made. I'll put a link to that in the show notes if people are interested. And this kind of disparity is really going to form a big part of what we're going to talk about today, which is boosters, by which I mean vaccine boosters. Amy, to start with, I think it's probably good to define what we mean when we say a vaccine booster in this scenario.
1: Yeah, so there's different kinds of boosters that people are talking about. You know, Israel's begun rolling them out. Germany and France have said they're going to in September for people who are elderly. Israel, same thing, people who are elderly. The UK is considering it. What we're talking about in these cases is an additional shot, often a third dose of an mRNA vaccine, Um, or sometimes we're talking about an mRNA vaccine, you know, on top of, say, like the AstraZeneca vaccine. That's slightly different than in the United Arab Emirates, where they're now saying you should have boosters for people who've had uh, some of the other vaccines, like the vaccines from China, which are from inactivated viruses. But for the most part, I'm talking about a third dose of an mRNA vaccine. And so the
0: concept here, regardless of whether or not we're talking about a third dose of the same vaccine that you've had before, or a third dose of a vaccine that works in a different way that has a different platform, is that you might be able to strengthen the protection that you have against COVID-19, or perhaps lengthen the amount of time that you are protected against COVID-19. we can discuss the likelihood of either of those two things happening as time goes on. But to start off with, remind us of the immunology behind why someone might want to have a booster.
1: So when you first get vaccinated, we've seen that there's, you know, a big surge of antibodies against the virus, in this case, you know, the coronavirus. And those antibodies are part of the immune response to protect you if you get infected again. However, with vaccines, what happens is you also generate other antibody responses like long-lasting B cells that will patrol the body, notice when there's an infectious agent like the coronavirus, and generate antibodies. So, What studies have begun to find is that there's declining antibodies, say, you know, several months, six months after you've gotten your full doses of the vaccine. And so the thought is, well, maybe this decline in an antibody response means there's less protection. But the trick there is so far we don't know because we see that with a lot of other vaccines.
0: Yeah, I think there's actually a quote in a feature written by our colleague Ewan Calloway in Nature All About Boosters in which a researcher says there's not a vaccine in the world that doesn't have a drop off of antibody titers. That's just what happens with vaccines. The real question is whether or not that drop off in antibody titers over time correlates to a drop in protection. And that's a difficult question to answer in many ways, especially because we still don't really have a correlate of protection. There's a chronopod about that as well. I'll put another link to that in the show notes. And then there are other reasons that it's difficult to measure this kind of stuff. So, for example, behaviour gets involved. When people have had a vaccine that they've been told is 95% effective, maybe they are less likely to wear masks. Maybe they're less likely to distance from people because they feel a sense of protection. And so, therefore, the behaviour change can change what the overall efficacy number might be because they're acting in a different way then than they might have been during a trial. And that kind of stuff in the real world is really, really hard to pick apart, right?
1: Yeah, like unless it's a very careful trial, it is really tough. You know, I think it's confusing, actually, frankly. I think all of us here at Nature are constantly talking among ourselves about the latest studies with suggestions on vaccine efficacy around the world, and they're really hard to follow because, like you said, there's so much else that can go into what's happening in the real world. Like if you're comparing vaccinated to unvaccinated people, well, The unvaccinated population changes, you know, say, depending on how much people have already been infected. And then there's other things that account for why you might see rising cases among vaccinated people if behavior is massively different than it was previously. The first round of people vaccinated before Delta was around, is that Delta that's changed whether or not they're being infected? Or is it that... Those people are, say, more exposed than people who are vaccinated later. Like, for example, health workers were vaccinated first. This is all to say that there's a ton of, like, complicating factors that makes each of those studies really hard to interpret. I mean, there was a sort of preprint, you know, not yet peer-reviewed study by Pfizer scientists that does suggest that after six months, the efficacy against infection from COVID, so getting COVID that has symptoms dropped down to 84%, but also it's worth noting that the efficacy against severe COVID that you'd go to the hospital for and death is still far above 95%.
0: And it's really worth remembering that that is ultimately what the vaccines are created for. You know, at the time, the vaccines were created to protect people from severe illness and death. Preventing infection completely is great. Preventing transmission, really, really important. Trying to reduce other public health measures, also really important. But fundamentally, the thing that the vaccines were designed to do wasn't necessarily those things. The things they were designed to do is prevent people dying and prevent people getting severely ill. And that's what raises the question of whether or not boosters are going to be necessary to continue that work. And that's where we get into kind of murkier water from a data perspective about how valuable boosters might be. Now, we should put as an aside that one place scientists are relatively confident boosters could do a lot of good is in people that have a specific reason that they may not have had as strong a reaction to the first two doses of a vaccine. For example, people that are immunocompromised. And in those cases, it looks like boosters could be really useful.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the one thing researchers might note is we're not sure how much more booster would help. So that's still actually, as far as I know, that's still an unknown. But to the point where, right, when, you know, there are studies showing that people with some blood cancers generated no antibodies after their full COVID vaccines, after the mRNA vaccines, it would make sense that maybe trying to boost the antibody response of people who had none would be a good thing. But to stress there, one is the science supports that more strongly because it would be a bigger difference between zero antibody response and some. And also, it's a a pretty small percent of the population. I read that it's somewhere around 2% of Americans who would fit into that category. Yeah, and
0: and that 2% isn't really what we're actually talking about in most of this episode when we talk about boosters. What we're talking about is the idea that you could more widely give third doses to improve the protection of people that already potentially have a high protection from two doses. And where the inequity that I mentioned at the beginning comes in here is when you consider this question in the context of a global vaccine supply, because there are many countries that, unlike the UK, unlike Israel, unlike many countries in Western Europe, for example, where the density of vaccination in the populations is high, 50, 60, 70%, where there have been almost no vaccinations comparatively. And that's something that you've really been looking into a lot recently.
1: Yeah, exactly. I thought that was a kind of a cost that sort of left out of this equation about whether or not there should be boosters. So knowing that vaccine supplies are really limited, that's unfortunately the sad truth of it. Um, I know I've I've seen people on Twitter kind of respond to me saying like, you know, have an abundance mindset or something. But the truth is they're limited. There needs to be more supplies. We don't have enough. And there's billions of people who lack vaccines in a lot of parts of the world. In countries across Africa, about 1.2% of people have gotten a single dose. And then in lower middle income countries, it's less than 15% of, of the population has been vaccinated.
0: Yeah. And that disparity is really stark, you know, on many coronapods. We've talked about the plethora of ways that social disparities, racial disparities, geographical disparities, economic disparities have really been highlighted by this pandemic. And this disparity is no different. Those numbers are really drastically divergent. Now, there are moral and ethical questions about that, about distribution, about the value of life. You know, there's a lot to discuss there. But aside from the moral or ethical questions, there are public health reasons and economic reasons why it may still be more beneficial to give vaccine doses to those that have been unvaccinated rather than giving booster injections to people, especially in the context of not really knowing how much of a difference that would make.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's sort of one of those cases where the kind of altruistic thing to do is also the selfish thing to do. The public health argument is by having COVID continue to be able to surge in places without vaccines, it really does put the entire world at risk. As we've seen with COVID, it's very much taught us that you can't just put up a travel ban and expect that variants aren't going to spread places. People move around. And so the longer that you have the coronavirus replicating and, and the more bodies it's replicating in the more chances there's going to be a mutation or a combination of mutations that will do something else that's bad. So Delta is bad, but maybe we'll get something that's even more transmissible. Maybe we'll have Delta become more transmissible, or maybe there'll be a variant that is deadlier, or maybe there'll be one that partially evades an immune response, either from a prior infection or from the vaccine. And that's what we're really afraid of. So the longer it surges, the more chance of a variant getting around. You know, there's also like economic reasons to be concerned that affect the whole world. The International Monetary Fund actually just revised their predictions for how the world will be doing economically at the end of the year because they had to downgrade middle and low-income countries, seeing that protection for these places looks increasingly out of reach. And that also will affect the entire world's economy. They have a warning in there that I thought was really dire, so I made a note of it. They write that highly infectious variants of COVID could derail economic recovery worldwide and wipe out 4.5 trillion from the global gross domestic product by 2025.
0: And that is a really sobering number. I think it's also important to mention here that I don't think anyone expected there to be a perfectly equitable distribution of vaccines across the world, that no one is expecting that. But what we're talking about here isn't just that there's an unequal distribution of vaccines, it's that the predictions that were made about how equitably we might be able to distribute vaccines even in this uneven world still haven't been met. We're behind even the relatively low targets that many were trying to hit.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, an analysis from Kaiser Family Foundation, or KFF, which is what they go by now, found that the pace of vaccination in low-income countries would need to increase by nearly 20-fold just to inoculate 40% of those populations by the end of the year. So that just goes to show like, how very far behind we are. And as a
0: result of this, the WHO has called for a moratorium on the giving of booster shots because of this massive need elsewhere in the world to give people access to first and second doses. Do you think that's going to be taken seriously?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, right. So they called a the moratorium until 10% of populations around the world are vaccinated. But no, unfortunately, you know, right after they put out that announcement, I think it was Germany and France announced that they would be giving boosters to elderly people, possibly frontline workers in September. So I I don't think countries are going to listen to that. And and I understand that, you know, leaders act in their nation's best interests, right? So their first duty is to vaccinate everyone. We will be vaccinating children probably before other countries have vaccines. I think the case with boosters is just that the evidence for it is just so low that it really, that's that's where it can be quite jarring for the WHO and for a lot of people in global health. And of course, most especially for people in all of the countries that don't have you know enough vaccines to even get above 15% of the population vaccinated.
0: Yeah. And full disclosure, this is always a balancing act. And if research does come out that shows that booster injections are actually vital to maintain the efficacy of vaccines, say one of the vaccines tanks after six months and becomes useless, and we need another booster injection to make it worth it, then this calculation changes. But that's not the situation we find ourselves in at the moment. So we've been talking a lot about the Density of vaccination in populations. And I'm very conscious that when you talk about 10%, 1.2%, 15%, these numbers can become a little bit meaningless. And this pandemic is affecting people in the real world. And you're talking to those people. It's one of the things that you, as a reporter, can really vitally bring to the table. What are they telling you about their own experiences of trying to receive and distribute vaccines on the ground?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you asked that. And I should say, you know, when I talk to the researchers that I know in the, let's say the global South broadly—they're upset. I think they're they're really upset about this. One woman I spoke to, Lena Mengani, she's the South Asia regional head of the Access Campaign at Doctors Without Borders. You know, I was talking with her, and of course, she's worked within this kind of public health world of getting getting medicines to people for a long time. And this was a big deal during HIV. You know, but she was just saying when we got on the phone, she just sort of noted as an aside that she had been caught in a stampede to get her second dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine when when she's in India. And she was saying, you know, it had been pushed back week after week. You had to wait in these huge lines. And then she was in a big mob of people and people started pushing in it and it was frightening. And she just said, we've always known that we were second-class citizens, but she really felt it right then. And I think sadly, that's sort of the way that people... Are feeling right now. You know, no matter how much schooling they have or how much good they've done for public health or for science, it doesn't really matter. They are not getting access to these vaccines while there's sort of talk about people getting third doses. It is something that really
0: gives me certainly pause for thought. When I sit here, I've had two jabs at this point. I'm in a country that has done relatively well in terms of its vaccine rollout, quite a high percentage of our population has been vaccinated. I've helped. With that rollout, I've seen how slick it has been. I've put over a thousand jabs into people's arms myself as a volunteer. I can see how that access has been given to people. And I'm really struck by how starkly different my experience is from the experience that you just described. And often I think that human element is something that's really missing from much of the discourse. And it really brings into focus in my head exactly what a lot of public health researchers are getting at when they say we need to have more global conversations about vaccine distribution, rather than each country having their own individual discussion about how to support their own population.
1: I completely agree. And I think, you know, with the boosters, I want to be clear that we're not suddenly going to take what would be allotted for boosters and vaccinate everybody in the world. The WHO did an analysis and they found if all high-income countries do this, vaccinate people over, say, age 50, they came up with a kind of rough number of around 880 million doses that would be, you know, used for boosters rather than going to 880 million people elsewhere. So that's not, that doesn't take care of the need. However, it really just this puts a sharp point on the inequities. And also discussions and sort of where money and effort and time is being spent and where it's not being spent. You know, the fact is right now we should have all hands on figuring out how to increase supplies so they can get everywhere. Increase supplies and also increase funding, whether that's put into manufacturing or put into distribution in other countries. That should really be the priority right now. You know, in my piece on boosters versus equity, one of my sources just said we'll be chasing our tails on this forever if we don't. Sure, there's Delta now, but what's going to happen? And in six months from now, and another six months from now, it's not like we can have a small bubble around just some of us and expect that this whole thing just goes away.
0: Yeah, and that quest to increase vaccine production is something that I am sure we're going to be talking about on Coronapod at some point in the near future, because it's really, really fundamental to all of this discussion. We wouldn't be talking about the scientific or moral or economic pros and cons of giving people boosters if there was an abundance of vaccines to go around and we're able to distribute them to the places that need them. The reason we're having these discussions is because there's a limited supply and because that supply is not necessarily in the place where there's the greatest need from a global perspective.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess one thing to take heart in is that the US, at least the US government does seem to be taking a a somewhat scientific approach to this. Now, as an aside, I just read a news report saying that some internal CDC documents showed that more than a million people in Florida alone have gotten boosters just because they asked for them and they got them. But that's not a recommendation from the government. So the U.S. government's approach right now seems to be like, I think they are definitely considering boosters for a small you know, portion of immunocompromised people. But other than that, it seems like what they're looking at is the science and saying, if we don't even know that a booster shot increases protection by you know half a percentage point or five percentage points, this is something we're not going to throw our weight behind. So I guess that... That can be the hope that at least it will be driven by the science as far as that goes. Well, at least there's something
0: positive to end this CoronaPod on. Aside from the emails and texts that I know I'm going to get saying, yay, Amy's back, because it always happens whenever you come back on. Really? I hope so.
1: Please say that. Not to
0: pick up your ego too much. (laughs)
1: Thanks.
0: (laughs) Anyway, thanks so much for being on CoronaPod, Amy.
1: Thanks. Bye.